When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In this episode, we talked to Caroline Tiger and Royce Epstein, the creative minds and curators behind the Instagram account. Descent by Design. We discuss how radical protests can be in the form of the simplest actions, the importance of empathy and education, and of course, why words matter. Tune in to listen to two friends interview another pair of friends. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Hello, welcome back for another week of Leaders by Design. With me, as always, is my lovely partner in crime, Krista. Um, but this week, we have two very special guests with us, Caroline Tiger and Royce Epstein. How are you guys? Hi, I'm good. This is Royce. Nice to meet you, Alan and Krista. I'm, I'm also good. This is Caroline. Thank you for having us on your show. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're super excited to chat with you guys this week. Um, you know, just some background for you guys. Um, you know, what we always do is kind of just start off and ask our guests ask who our you guests. are, what you do, what your origin story is. Basically, like, tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself. So um, you guys can go together. You can do one at a time. We've had guests do both. Uh, dealer's choice. <laughs> or I guess I would be the dealer, huh? I guess it's not dealer's choice then. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. You guys pick. <laughs> you go first, Royce. Um, all righty. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Royce Epstein. I am uh, uh, 
I don't know how to describe myself. I'm sort of like a jack of all trades designer. Uh, I work for Mohawk Group, which is the world's largest carpet and flooring manufacturer as a uh, design director. Um, but I was a practicing interior designer for a little over 20 years and then went into product development. Um, my entire life, I have been an art nerd, a music nerd, um, somewhat of a historian. I studied art history. I thought I was going to go into art history as a career and actually just fell into the design world completely by accident just because I needed a job in 1991 um, and haven't left ever since. Um, and I've lived in Philadelphia for the last 20 years, except for four years that I did live in Brooklyn. I, uh, Krista, like you, I moved back to the city because Philly is so awesome and I missed it. And I miss Caroline because uh, we've done other projects in the past together. So it was fun to get reunited. Um, yeah, so that's sort of me in a quick nutshell. Um, and yeah, I am, this is Caroline. Um, I am, I'm not a designer, but I've been, I call it design adjacent for, for most of my career. Um, I started, well, I have a background, I have a background in book publishing and magazine publishing. And <clears throat> I was a journalist for many years and I kind of gravitated toward writing about design. Um, and at first I was writing about um, interior design for shelter magazines, um, but then I started to learn about product design and experience design and service design and all these other areas of design and how they intersect with um, so many interesting areas of our lives and can impact these areas of our lives. So um, um, I kind of got hooked on design. And I transitioned from journalism to content um, marketing and communications, which is what I do now for a product design firm in Philadelphia called Bressler Group. I mean, it's super interesting. Guys, I, I always love hearing how people get into the field or design adjacent fields, if you will. Um, you know, we've, we've always maintained between Krista and I that um, just as important, if not honestly more important than the design is the words that we use in our designs. So super important, you know, for anyone listening, if your team doesn't have a copywriter or some kind of writer, that sucks. You're missing out. <laughs> it's so important. Um, we try, but we're not nearly, uh, you know, as, as good as you guys. And then um, you guys had said that you guys worked on some projects together in the past as well. Um, you know, what kind of projects were they and what kind of brought you guys together for what you're doing now? Yeah, Caroline and I met through, I think, mutual friends in the design community. Um, I'm on the board of Collab, which is uh, sort of an affinity group with the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And we help the museum uh, collect uh, contemporary and modern design for the permanent collection and then, you know, share that with the design community, not just in Philly, but really everywhere. Um, and I know Caroline um, was also involved with Collab and we kind of overlapped a little bit and just have mutual friends. I think through Collab, that's probably how we first met. Um, it was so long ago, I don't really even remember how we met, but um, the project that we worked on was for Design Philadelphia. We co-curated an exhibit together um, called Four Corners and we used the second floor of Minima's uh, old city gallery and shop space. Uh, they were very kind to lend us their second floor. And we basically decided to fit 
out the second floor like it's an apartment and every single thing that was in it down to the artwork and the vases on the table came from designers in the Philadelphia region. So it was all about localism and really promoting, you know, Philadelphia design. Um, and it was a really big project. I was just talking uh, about it with someone today and remembering like the scope of work that we had to do. I mean, we literally like fundraised um, in order to, you know, hire like a graphic designer and we, we actually designed and wrote a catalog and, um, you know, worked with, I don't even know how many artists and designers to fit out the space. And, you know, we hired a carpenter and a handyman, <laughs> like it was a really big project. And it was something that, you know, even though it was probably nine years ago or so, um, I think it's something that really brought us together and uh, solidified our shared love of design, um, certainly in, in curation, but really in trying to sort of put design in a context. And we both, uh, care about that very much and think about that very much. And we also like to write about that. You know, I'm not a writer by vocation or training, but um, I'm very lucky in that all the education I've ever had in my life has been very sort of, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> um, you know, it's been about expressing myself through writing. You know, I went to Sarah Lawrence College, which is a school that's all about writing. You know, even if you study dance and painting, you have to write. Um, it's just a school that really teaches you about expression. And so I'm, I feel really lucky that I have that as just kind of a, a skill under my belt and can communicate that way. So I think when Caroline and I met, we just had so many similar, um, you know, not just hobbies, but things that we care about in the world. And then, of course, that led us to, you know, Descent by Design, where we are today. Oh, I love that. I love number one. I mean, the design community and the art community in Philly is amazing. I think it's also super, um, the word I was going to use is intimate and that sounds kind of odd to me, but close like, knit. yeah, it's very close knit. Everyone kind of knows each other or knows somebody who knows somebody. Um, you know, so I, I love, I love our little community here in, in Philadelphia. And I also, I love, you guys talking about, you know, kind of how you connected. Cause Krista, doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> Aligning wow. on ideals and love <laughs> of design and art and writing and social causes. Krista's like, leave me alone. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. I mean, yeah. it's all, um, you know, we're empathetic people, um, generally speaking. We're so the we find, we find each other. Um, <laughs> empathy breeds empathy in my, yeah. in, is my hope every day. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. So, well, oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say that sometimes it's hard to find people like that, you know, like it's hard to find um, even like-minded people when you care about something that's sort of outside of your, your everyday normal job or your family or your, even your best friends. Um, I'm someone I think who's really lucky that I share a love of art and design with a lot of the people around me. So um, it just makes everything so much more enriching and, you know, just, just, you know, instead of talking about, you know, whatever random things people talk about at the dinner table, like we're literally talking about design. And so um, I think that helps to strengthen not just our research and our work that we write about, but just really the things that we are passionate about and care about on an everyday level. Totally agree. Krista and I always joke that like, we'll get together and we're like dissecting the kerning on the menus and our partners are like, girls are crazy <laughs> yeah, but it's just we bond over all that but in the next breath stuff. we'll talk about you know uh, well we, right before you guys came on we were talking about um israel and palestine you yeah. know? like so um and um i mean 
you know, it's all of the all, media well, that's going the on. The empathy, about that right the visuals, now. it's all it's all yeah. connected. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, as designers and, and writers, we communicate and we have to be very careful. You know, it's I always joke that that's our superpower and you can either use it for good or you can use it for evil, right? So yeah. it's a big responsibility, you know, and and yeah, a lot of some a lot of times people think of designers as like, oh, you're making a logo or you're making a flyer for somebody. And like, yeah, that stuff exists too. Um, but we're we're meant to communicate things and again, we have to do so very thoughtfully. So, you know, and I think that really connects to what you know you guys do. And I, I think that's so amazing and important. Um sorry, I'm rambling. I'm just really excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get too far into everything. Um, we do have a secret icebreaker question for you guys, even though we're kind of already broken through the ice, which is usually how this goes anyway. Um, but our question for the two of you is what is your favorite artist? Or who oh, is your favorite artist? This, this can include artist, designer, musician, yeah. writers, anyone that is in the arts category, if yeah. you will. Well, I we hit, we hit, we hit hard and tough with these questions. <laughs> this is easy for me because I always talk yeah. about my favorite artists. Yeah, I was gonna what say we could do it like newlywed game style, and I could tell you who Royce's is. <laughs> we should have done that. That would have been fun. How <laughs> well we know each other. Yeah. Um, for me, I think it changes. Um, it it changes all the time. I'm right now. I have Alice Neal on my mind because I I want to go and see her show at the Met. <clears throat> and I've been um, looking at her work a lot lately and read, reading about the exhibit and her life. So um, that's mine at the moment. Do you want to tell everyone what mine is? <laughs> and <clears throat> Roy's favorite artist <laughs> is cute pairing. Yeah, got it. Yeah, one of my I top, one of my top as well. And um, amazing. I literally uh, wanted to run away from home in high school. Um, I don't know how old you guys are, but I feel like I'm probably the oldest one here. Um, I graduated high school in 1987, and in the 80s, when Keith Haring was really, you know, coming into his own visual language, like I was utterly obsessed with him. And I grew up uh, in the Princeton, New Jersey area. My dad commuted to New York City every day, and I would literally beg him to like take me to New York. So I could like run off to <laughs> Keith's studio and like volunteer my time to you know be his intern or whatever. Um, and of course that didn't happen. Um, there's something about Keith Haring that still today really, really resonates. And I think, you know, all you have to do is go on Instagram and look at all the Keith Haring tribute accounts and the Keith Haring Foundation is still, you know, uh, keeping his work relevant and alive. And you know, his work is timeless in a certain sense. Um, you know, it's sort of about like prime, like the primal sort of markings of man, but then it's also like sort of futuristic. And then of course he's also a political act or he was a political activist um, as well. So it was, he was just so incredibly inspiring to me when I was a teenager. And the fact that he was really into like graffiti and hip hop and like when dancing at, you know, all the clubs in New York, like I totally wanted that lifestyle, you know? <laughs> Um, I was like a smidgen too young, but um, no, it was so cool. And I still like revere him tremendously. And and thank goodness, like museums and galleries and whatnot are still showing his work and people are still writing about him. Um, I, I remember the first time I saw Keith Herring's work, 
I had like, it was honestly one of the first things I ever really like sketched. Um, when I was, you know, a young teen, we were, you know, looking at different artists and stuff. And I was very um, moved as well by the graphic style. It was also, there's something about his style that feels very accessible. Yeah, You know, that like to me is right. An untrained artist, not that it looked anything like, you know, what this person had recreated, but there was something accessible that I felt like I could connect and I could try and mimic that. There's, you know, it, it just was, it was something that I connected to very deeply, um, you know, and then we learned a lot about, you know, the activism that he was a part of. And I think it just kind of cemented that as absolutely one of my top five, always, always, always answers. Um, so, you know, very aligned with you on that. That's, I think that's yeah. a great Well, answer. his style and subject were so pure, like you couldn't yeah. not, you know, <laughs> gravitate towards it. I feel anyway. He was one of the first things or people that I really wrote about from a sort of uh, art historical slash design perspective. Um, when I was studying art history, that was my plan was to, you know, get my PhD in art history and it didn't pan out exactly. I dropped out of grad school and wound up working um, for Michael Graves, who is a, or was a famous architect. Um, and I literally started there at the bottom, you know, as an administrative assistant. But um, when I, was in school, I, I decided to write a paper that I had for one of my classes about Keith Haring and really the inspiration of like tagging and um, sort of the early days of graffiti that and, and what kind of profound effect that had on Haring. And so I typed this paper out like on a typewriter. This was before, you know, I had a computer. Um, I guess this was in like, I don't know, 1988, maybe. Um, and I've saved that paper all these years. And back then, like I, you know, had to Xerox like pictures from books and like paste them with glue sticks, you know, into my paper that was typed with carbon paper. Um, and all these years I've saved it, I still have it. Um, and I just so happened to um, have met someone who knew someone working at the Herring Foundation and they gave them a copy of my paper. Um, and so it was now added to the uh, Keith Haring Foundation archive. So I feel really honored that like my right about, you know, yeah. about is, is there, even though it was, you know, I was super young. I was like 19 when I wrote that paper, but. That's um, amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, what, yeah. like, what like an amazing tribute to somebody that you revere so deeply to have yeah. your work as part of the archive about them. That's amazing. But it wasn't until just now we were talking about it. I'm like, yeah, that was probably some of my earliest like sort of art and design writing that, you know, has entered the world. Yeah, I mean, it, again, just talk about an influential force. Um, something else that you guys, in, in past interviews that we've seen, you guys have both talked about being influenced by both being in the world of collections. You know, Caroline, you talk about your family and antiques and Royce with imagery. What is one piece that sticks out in your mind as a favorite for the right now? <clears throat> I think for me, um... There's um, there's a graphic designer with Pentagram uh, named Marina Wilmer. Um, you guys are nodding your heads, so you know who she is. But she, what I think, I wrote when I wrote a story about Paula Sheriff when she did um, her exhibit with Seymour for the Philadelphia Museum of Art. I wrote a feature about the exhibition for the Philadelphia Inquirer. <clears throat> and I got on the list for the, the pentagram papers. Um, and it's, um, they, I don't know how frequently they send it. 
maybe like quarterly, um, but you get some something in the mail, something beautiful and surprising in the mail <laughs> regularly from from a designer there. And I think my my favorite thing is a series that she did of um, rubbings of manhole covers in London. And have you guys seen these? They're very cool. I have. I awesome. love them. Yeah, absolutely. I do too. They're I have them lining the hallway <clears throat> outside my bedroom, which is also which has also been my gym and my office <laughs> for the last year. So I, you know, I'm just like always walking past them and they're 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 always beautiful and um engaging and they always make me think and make me happy. So that would be my pick. Um, I'm going to connect to the Paula Shear um, reference there. So Paula, in her early years before she worked at Pentagram, um, was a, a record cover designer. Um, and I remember when we had that show at the uh, PMA, um, there were a lot of the records that she had designed were actually on display, which I thought was so cool, along with Seymour's work as well. Um, so for me, I, I collect a lot of things like it's really hard to narrow down. I'm also as as much as I love art and design, I'm also obsessed with music. I'm also a musician. So I also collect records. And um, so I'm going to connect this to Paula because of her uh, sort of, you know, designing record covers. I mean, some of my favorite, favorite records are not necessarily the music, but literally the covers just so fantastic. Um, so like the B-52s, like their yellow album, which was their debut album. It's like, also, that's an incredible album, totally groundbreaking, but like that artwork is amazing. And even their second album with the red cover, um, equally amazing. And I actually have that framed on a bookshelf, some leaning on a bookshelf somewhere. Um, you know, record cover art to me is like, has its own category of like stuff that should be coveted and looked at and really admired. And it's so sad today with Spotify and whatnot that, and not that I don't love, you know, I also collect songs on Spotify and make playlists like everybody else, but um, you know, there's something lost there in like the tangible of looking at the image and holding it in your hand and, you know, reading about the person who designed it. And then of course, looking at the liner notes and there's just something so iconic about a lot of those records because of the, the art that was done on the cover. So yeah, I still collect, I, collect yeah. vinyl and, and my favorite records really have these amazing, you know, covers. I'll have to go back and see if I have any of Paula's designs. Um, yeah, sure. I didn't even think of that because I, well, as you were talking, like, I know I have the B-52s over here somewhere. I was trying to see <laughs> if I could find it really quick. I, my records are not organized at all. So it's really bad, but, um, I yeah, did I, an internship in Los Angeles for, um, a team that worked with Rhino Records. And that was really cool because I had never considered, um, album cover design, right. As part of like graphic design. I think it was after like my freshman or sophomore year. So like, I, you know, still didn't know shit. Um, but it was the, the owner of the, the small marketing firm, uh, David Gorman at Hackmart at the time, he was like, a, a, like you, a designer that was also a musician obsessed with music. And like the biggest education I got for the four months I worked out there was the connection between music and design and those two industries. And I think I, you're totally right. It's, they really do go hand in hand and it's its own little facet of graphic design that's so unique and wonderful. 
Yeah. And I think like all the artists and, and many designers that I really connect with are also really into music and there's some kind of connection. I mean, even look at David Bowie, like he's such an amazing musician and had such a long career, but his career was also very visual. Like the visuals went along with his music and define the yeah. different you know periods that he was involved with. And, um, you know, coming back to David Bowie, I have a record cover that Keith Haring designed for David Bowie somewhere. It's a seven inch that I have in my collection somewhere. <laughs> so it's all connected. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, like Caroline, you said you have the prints. I clearly, for those who can see, have a poster problem. <laughs> so I have- This is um, just one wall. Yeah, this is just one wall. Um, my friends made me count and this count is old because I've added more since and it's only been like three months. Um, I have over 170 prints hanging in my wow. house. Um, wow. Yeah, I have a problem, <laughs> but I just love, I just love art and I love looking at it, but um, I have my new favorite is I somehow acquired a 1930s marijuana propaganda poster. Oh, that's good. Ooh. And that's my go-to right now. So Caroline, when you were like, I just love looking at it. I'm like, I just stand in front of my propaganda, marijuana propaganda poster in the morning and go, God, so great. <laughs> it's super important. I think if we're talking about our own collections to like, like I just want things in my house and my like studio and my office to make that make me happy. You know, I mean, I have like, I have a, a like I said, I have a um, almost four year old and you know, there's pictures of her everywhere, but like, there's only so much of that cute kid I can look at. Like the art that I hang in my house is so important to me. And you know, like, like Krista, you're joking, but like you do, like you stand in front of your art and you're like, yeah, I, I picked some good shit. Like you just want to make, you just want to have stuff in your home that like makes you feel good. It's so important, whether that's music or art or, you know, a combination of the two. It's so important. Well, other than the physical things that we collect, um, with the two of you, where do you guys gravitate um, when you're trying to find inspiration or creativity within your industries or my favorite, even without of your industries? Hmm. <laughs> well, like for me, you mentioned visuals, like I'm a really visual person. And even though, again, I love writing and I, I feel like I'm lucky to have that skill. And I do a lot of design writing for my job as well. I, I write a lot of the product romance. That's what we call it. Like the, you know, the story behind the product. Um, <laughs> but I'm really like, for me, I'm also really obsessed with visuals and collecting visuals. And I was so thrilled when Pinterest like finally came around when it did, because I had spent years and years and years, like literally ripping pictures out of magazines and like archiving them in plastic pages and binders. And I had, literally hundreds of binders and every time I moved it was like why am I taking this stuff with me like I'm never going to look at it again but like I didn't want to get rid of it you know and and this was even before recycling like I just wanted to save all these images and so you know it, it took a long time to like you know archive everything and and now of course Pinterest has basically taken over that function um which is fantastic um but uh yeah I think for me it's all about visuals and and you know trying to find um the right image that says what I want to say in my mind, especially if I'm writing something like I lecture a lot for my job. And if I'm writing a lecture, like for me, the image is, is more important even than what I have to say, because the image really has to support like the idea that's trying to kind of, that I'm trying to put forward. 
So I think visuals for me are like the most stimulating, the most interesting for my brain and, and really gets me thinking about other things, you know, and a lot of times now too, you know, there's so many different kinds of visuals. Like we live in this digital world where people are using CGI and creating all the, these sort of new visuals that are pixel. Um, so it really gets you thinking about like, you know, what is design and what is art and like the definitions are, are definitely changing. Um, and now, you know, we're seeing NFTs and like digital art for sale and all of this. So it's kind of changing our whole industry. And, you know, people are really trying to, I think, expand the definition of design and what visuals could be. So that's kind of what I think about when I think about visuals and, and what kind of inspiration I get from them. Um, yeah, I've been trying to think. I. It's funny because the whole, um, the pandemic has kind of um, pulled everything inward and it's like people may not be going to the same sources of inspiration that they went to before. Um, and I, I think I, I do draw a lot of inspiration from, um, from Instagram, from reading, looking at other people's accounts and reading um, other design writers and what they have to say. Um, my job is is fascinating, but it's also it, it's it's B2B marketing. So <laughs> there's some limitations on on mm -hmm. how creative I can be. Um, so just reading like Alice Ross Thorne's um, Instagram account. I have her book right here. Yeah, she's that book, Design as an Attitude. <laughs> We're fangirls. Yes, we are fangirls. Um reading her her work and like I I did a summer research intensive at the School of Visual Arts in their decrypt program. And I learned about a lot of design writers there <clears throat> who who look at design. Um in these deep, interesting ways. And I, some of them are on Instagram, some of them aren't. Um, but I think that's where I get inspiration from, from reading those kinds of voices. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what, where Descent by Design started too, was from, you know, from looking at these different Instagram accounts and how people started using Instagram differently over the last year, you know, to really help again, like make sense of things that are going on in the world, um, to really try to distill down some important issues rather than just, you know, pictures of manicures and cupcakes and whatnot. And, you know, people complain too that Pinterest had become that as well. But, you know, I always argue it's you're, you're as good as, you know, how you search for things and what you collect. And I think Instagram is really the same, you know, who you follow and what you fill your feed with will, you know, give you a very gratifying, um, feed if you are following those kinds of sort of inspirations like Caroline mentioned. And so definitely like Alice Roththorne's feed has been a tremendous influence for us to start. Um, also Design Emergency is another one and that's Alice working with Paula Antonelli from MoMA. Um, they started that uh, as a response to COVID, like looking at how design could kind of rise to the challenge during this COVID era. Um, so those were two kind of pivotal moments for us where we're like, oh, like people are actually doing design writing on Instagram. Like, isn't that interesting? Um, yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth right there. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Like for example, I since we're sharing books that are right on our desk, I just got, um, I mean, Ellen Lupton's the first name on this list, um, but it's called Extra Bold, a Feminist, Inclusive, Anti-Racist, Non-Binary Field Guide for Graphic Designers that was just released. Um, and I found this through Instagram. Like I would have never knew this existed, but then I, I, I immediately bought it. And I just love that accounts like yours to set by design and design, like there's so many um, that, you know, Caroline, what you just said last, last year, everybody's looking inward, but it's been so great. And that's kind of how this started as well, but it's been so great that so many empathetic, creative people, whether you're a designer or what creative is creative, but just using different platforms in ways that they weren't intended necessarily yeah. to get out information that's worthwhile and worth discussing. It's funny you mentioned the pandemic because I, I literally deleted or deactivated as my headphone falls out, deactivated my Instagram at the beginning of the pandemic because I realized that I was, the, the feed was, was very um, upsetting because it was all either in my case, you know, mom accounts of these moms being like, Oh my God, I just got like a two hour workout in during a pandemic. Aren't I amazing? Meanwhile, I'm like on the floor crying covered in milk because my toddler's daycare was, you know, canceled. Um, or, you know, just, just accounts like that. And I sort of was, was sitting there and I was like, you know, I, I'm isolating myself, number one, by removing myself from that platform. But number two, like you said, Royce, I have complete control over what, what I'm seeing on my feed. So I reactivated it. I went through and like unfollowed 600 people <laughs> and just started refollowing different people that I was interested in knowing more about, whether they be feminists, activists, designers, writers, actors and actresses, anybody that makes me feel less than, I don't follow them. If I see something that I'm like, yeah, I can't engage with that. And it's, you know, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I mean, obviously people post things that I either disagree with or feel uncomfortable about. It's not about that. But like, if I get that like sick feeling in my stomach of like, why am I comparing myself to this fitness blogger who does nothing but work out all day? Like, we're, we're removing that from the feet. The feet is a feet needs to be a yeah. supported, positive place. Yeah, and I think um, you make a good point. Like, you know, that people use Instagram and and certainly other social media for different purposes. Yeah. And you know, one of the cool things about our uh, platform, Descent by Design, is like we chose. This is where we chose to like put our activism and where we can use our writing skills and talk about our design interests. And really it's like at this intersection of all of those things. And, you know, we're not like sharing recipes and we're not, you know, sharing workout tips or whatever. And that's not true to who I am. Like I would never do that in the first place. So I think, you know, it's okay to like have a feed that's different from, you know, like all those other people I feel like are on TikTok. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, maybe now. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and, and, there's nothing wrong with TikTok. Like, you know, there's a place and a, and a need for, for all these different outlets. And, you know, I love that TikTok has become the place for people to dance, you know? Um, I went on TikTok and I couldn't even figure out how to use it. So I like shut down my account like instantly, you know, cause I'm in my fifties and I need someone who's 12 to like teach me how to use it. So I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. Like, you know, there's, there, there, there can be a place online for whatever it is that you want to share with the world. And, and for us, like we chose Instagram, which is weird because it's not really a writing platform, but we figured out how to do that. 
um, you know, it's definitely a platform of expression. Yes, for mm -hmm. sure. You know, and, and it's almost like, I'm, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but something you had said when you were talking about your lectures, is finding like the visual to match with the words. I think Instagram sort of marries those two ideas perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. It's you're able to get that message across. You get, you capture someone's mm -hmm. attention with the visual and then you're able in the post to really go in and get them engaged in what you're trying to talk about. Yeah, yeah we yeah. don't even know if people actually read what we write. Um, I read it. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's like, it's an interesting constraint too because you have 2,200 characters yeah. um, and you have to, it's like the, the, it's much harder to write short than it is to write long. Um, and 2,200 characters is pretty short when you're trying to, um, you know, talk about on. important shit. Yeah, <laughs> talk about something that like books have been written about. So, um, I also enjoy like the the creative challenge of of writing that caption and and getting it right. Like when Royce um, or I have a phrase in a caption that we that we're especially proud of, we like text each other. And, you know, <laughs> I forget which one it was that you had, Royce. Oh, that was so cute. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so. That's also a benefit to working with a friend like Krista and I are constantly, I mean, not only do we do this podcast together, we also have an agency together that we, you know, a small agency that we run together. Um, and it, there's something really cool about like, again, it, it, sometimes I feel like in other places, at least for me, I've always kind of kept, um, I'm actually gonna laugh and contradict myself. I was gonna say I always kept a wall up between myself and my coworkers, but I'm marrying a former coworker of mine, so that clearly is untrue. Um, for the, the most part, need to be brought down. <laughs> for the most part, I try to keep personal and professional separate. I failed miserably there, but you know what are you gonna do? But there's something really cool about being able to, like, kind of have like that fangirl moment, right? Of and that pride moment with like, like Chris is one of my best friends. You know, she's my sister. Um, so like being able to like be really proud, not only of something you've worked on, but something you get to like work on and collaborate with a good friend. That's so amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I didn't really have a point other than to just call out that, you know, you guys are great and working with your friends is awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, we, I mean, we agree. We agree. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask, like, I mean, I know, I know you guys talk about a lot of important stuff on your account. Was there a catalyst that like really made this idea come to fruition of like, holy shit, we need to start an account and like really talk about important stuff. Yeah. Caroline, do you want to talk about that? Um, yeah. So I, when I, I, I talked about the decrypt program I did, I, I think of it as a couple of years ago, but it's when my daughter was two and she's now yeah, 10. It was, a, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Clearly more than a couple of years ago. I, I literally tell people constantly that I just had a baby and my daughter's going to be four in September. And I'm like, Ooh, she's talking. Ooh, she has teeth. Ooh, <laughs> no, that ship has sailed. Yeah. So I got it. Um, so I read, that's where I first read Ralph Kaplan who wrote a book called by design. Um, and he wrote a lot of other wonderful things too. But um, in that book, he really opened my eyes to, what design for protest can be. Because um, I I would have always thought of design for protest as the posters that people carry um, at a march um, or like the t-shirts they wear. But he goes through um, 
the whole design of the lunch counter sit-in as the, I, I think he called it the most perfect example of design in the 20th century or something like that. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, but he makes the argument for it as a well thought out, um, basically experienced design that um, took a challenge, a very, you know, um, deep and real challenge and, and created a solution through design. So because that made me look at design differently and at design for protest differently, I thought it would be a good topic to, to explore in an Instagram account. That was the yeah, And we started the account, um, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, I think we were both feeling very, very helpless, like a lot of people. And um, during lockdown, like I wasn't comfortable going out and protesting. I wanted to in my heart and I was like enraged and I wanted, you know, here in Philly, we had very, very robust protests for quite a while, a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm someone of high risk health and I literally had been locked in my house for a year. So I was feeling really um, torn because I wanted to be out there and I wanted to play a part. And I'm like, well, there's got to be another way that, you know, I can contribute. And so Caroline had, it was really Caroline's idea was, you know, to, you know, start this account because this is what we can do. We can use our voices through writing and, you know, curating the topics that we want to uh, educate people about. And, and really it's about educating ourselves first. Like we do the research and, and then, you know, put it on the platform and, and invite everyone to learn along with us. And that's kind of how we started. So this was sort of our way of, of participating in the George Floyd protest, but also being inspired by um, our world of design and how design can really move movements and shape movements. I, I'm connecting so deeply to everything you guys just said. I mean, it sounds very similar to our journey with this podcast of, you know, similar frustration and what was going on, um, you know, socially with, you know, the George Floyd movement, um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, feeling like we couldn't contribute to it necessarily, or like you said, couldn't protest because of lockdown restrictions um, and wanting to curate a platform, not just to educate others, but like you said, to educate ourselves. You know, Krista and I are two cis white women. You know, we can only know so much. So, you know, why not have a platform that, again, not only where are we being educated from, but that we can give this platform to other folks from all different kinds of backgrounds so that other people can learn too with us. And I think, you know, that's the power of design and creative expression. You know, again, we have this podcast and, you know, we have an Instagram account that's tied to it, but it, it's the power of words and visuals is something that, it, it, I mean, I'm gonna say it's powerful and that's contradicting itself, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so important, especially during a time where people are literally locked in their houses feeling helpless and feeling like they need resources to educate themselves. So I, I think it's absolutely amazing. Thanks, Ellie. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I for one, I'm grateful that Caroline had this amazing idea because I think, you know, I can't speak for Caroline, but I know for myself, like I needed to do something and I didn't quite know what that was. And I was feeling really helpless. And um, I think it shows you, and this is true for any kind of crisis or just really any challenge that we're having in culture, like 
and everyone can use the skills that they have to be part of the solution. You know, like, you know, just because I can't fly a plane in the Navy doesn't mean that I can't like be in the military. Right. It's like, no, that's not a good example, but you know what I mean? Like, everybody, <laughs> everybody, like can, can contribute in some way, you know? Yeah. Um, the, a lot of the stuff we write about is it's, it's not, like trained designers or designers who have been to design school. It's everyday people who are figuring out ways to design themselves out of um, a certain situation where, where people are oppressed and there's, there's um, in inequality. So like things like, um, the yellow umbrella that was used in the, the Hong Kong protest movement or the suffragettes like chaining themselves to the fence um, um, to create a diversion so another one could, you know, run in and, and, and protest. So it's really like the power of the people um, and the power of design uh, and how they come together which is empowering for all of us, you know, locked up at home. And also that was the run up to the election, which was, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. You can't just call it the election. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a, a source of, you know, intense anxiety. So just like yeah. having that creative outlet was, is, yeah, we wrote about the actually you wrote about Caroline the Trump baby balloon, which I thought was fantastic. Um, I remember seeing that for the first time, and I just it gave me so much joy in such a joyless time. It's <laughs> like thank you, that's amazing. Well, everything you just said, Caroline. I mean, like, so when we started this podcast, well, before we even started this podcast, we were like, what do we call it? We have no idea what to call it. It's got to be something catchy, of course. Like we're designers, so it's got to be good. Um, and we came up with obviously leaders by design. And at first, I will say all of our friends and families that we told, I told significantly less people because I have imposter syndrome, like you wouldn't believe. Um, but everyone's like, "Oh, it's a podcast about designers." I'm like, mm, "No, it's about people." Yeah, doing exactly what you just said. Like there's a connection between the power of design of of course visuals but then like how you design yourself within the world that you're in mm -hmm. and how that affects how other people see you and your community and it's the the royal design like royal we right like how we all connect together um and when like our first couple interviews i mean i think we went to like 10 interviews before we brought in another designer um on purpose, because yeah, we're like, you purpose. can't make this a graphic design podcast. <laughs> um, like, people will be such a small core group of people that would be like, oh, this is great. And everyone else would be like, what's kerning? We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all, you know, we're all mostly human. Um, so how we are designed together and how we work together is really what um, made us want to do this. Um, and that, and we were tired of hearing cis white men talk about how great they were. Um, and we figured we're done with that. Let's talk to everybody else. <laughs> so, I mean, it's the same brainchild that you guys had with your Instagram account, but we wanted to talk to people because by October we were just, you know, chomping out <laughs> each other and ourselves. 
yes, yelling at each other about <laughs> the problems of the world wasn't helping anybody. I think we um, probably sent so. about six, like, this is bullshit or some kind of equivalent of that text or some kind of message to each other daily. Still yeah. do, but it's a little Still different. Still do. <laughs> right. But now we have other people to talk to, so it's much better. <laughs> um, so in addition to spreading dissent online, which, you know, is the most accessible option, what recommendations do you have for people that want to, quote unquote, spread dissent in their local communities? Well, I'm not sure we're like advocating dissenting in sort of a, you know, call to action way. Um, I think we're more about connecting kind of the dots on what people are doing around the world, whether it's like, you know, like Caroline said, like, you know, using a, an object that already exists for a different purpose as part of dissent or, um, you know, highlighting different social movements related to design and how could design could help propel the movement. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see us as, well, and maybe Caroline has a different view, but like, I don't look at it as like, we're, you know, a big rallying cry. I think we're just trying to put a lot of these different stories in some kind of broader context and so that people can see that there is design at the heart of, you know, everything in our world and that, um, design can really also help inform and help shape movements can um, make sense of things for people. And, and I think, you know, the Ralph Kaplan quote that you gave earlier, Caroline is really, you know, I think important in highlighting this. It's like, you know, we, there's lots of things that are designed that we don't think of as design. And so that's kind of where we come in, you know, trying to um, call attention to, you know, like an action, like, a lot of people wouldn't think in action, like, you know, things that you could do during a protest, like, um, I think Extinction Rebellion is a good example of that. You know, they have theater and they wear costumes and they physically, like, literally attach themselves and glue themselves to, you know, like, you know, the pavement and buildings so that they can't get arrested. And, you know, that in itself is design. And so we we explain to people why. Why is that design? And 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 again, how does this connect to other pieces of design? And so that's kind of how I see our platform and our writing. Um, you know, I, I don't want to assume that everyone who reads us is necessarily an activist. Um, it would be great if we can inspire people to, you know, be interested in dissent and to be interested in activism. But again, I think everybody comes to activism in a different way. Some people are more passive about it. And then as you know, some people are very, very aggressive and vocal about it. Um, and you know, I'm just using sort of my own, you know, skill set to, you know, be part of the resistance, if you will. Um, maybe different now than, I, you know, if I was alive during World War II, I would have been in the resistance maybe in a different way, right? Um, this is how we do this now in this time. Um, that doesn't mean maybe we won't protest in physical space in the future. And maybe we'll have to have some really cool posters when we can get out there. Um, so maybe you guys can help us design some dissent by design posters. Absolutely. I'm speaking um, for Krista. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, Caroline. I mean, do you, do you agree or we haven't even talked about this, like our, you know, like sort of our audience and, and how we envision them sort of using and, and being inspired by the dissent that we're like the examples that we're providing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I think people are inspired. Hopefully, people are inspired 
to to learn that there are so many different ways to to express dissent, which I which I which is what you said. Um, like I'm thinking of the Tiny Pricks project, where she um, would em embroider a different quote of um, oh. Voldemort. <laughs> I don't even like saying his name um, every day, and that you know that was it's like her a, a quiet way of protest, but it was amplified so much by social media. Um, I mean, her account just blew up because um, so many other people around the world also wanted to like preferred to protest that way, um, which was, it was really interesting to see like all the different modes of protest and expression are out there. Um, I mean, I think one thing that we always, that we always do go to a call to action on is to vote. Um, well, like we, in our stories and in some of our posts, we, are, you know, we always highlight voting and the importance of voting. And um, I think that is, that's the very least we all can do, you know, as, and I think of your vote is, is a form of dissent because it's your voice. Um, yeah, there's lots of states that don't want people to vote now. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So in our day and age, a vote is an act against voter suppression. Um, so I think that if, if the question is, what's the most important form of dissent? Um, for me, it's, it's your vote. Brilliantly yeah. said. Absolutely. It's like it's you're a writer or something. <laughs> it's like you're really good with words. Um, Caroline is I have, my inspiration. Oh, I love that. <laughs> See, I could say something nice like that to Krista and she'd be like, oh, get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't take uh, Are you guys watching Handmaid's Tale? Oh, I just watched the most recent episode. Okay, you good. mean the reenactment of where we're about to go? In a I think about this show a lot and like to me it's the most amazing and powerful show on television right now and um, I think the one thing I've learned in this show is that like and this is of course from June's character is like you can resist and you can um, protest you know even in the moment you think you're about to die right yeah. Like that's what the show is about. You know, it's, it's really about like finding your voice and, and staying true to who you are and what you believe in um, up until even that, that moment that, you know, you, it might be your last breath, you know, and, and, and every episode that is like, we're reminded of that in every episode. So it's really hard to watch, but um, I think that's an important lesson about dissent. And it's, it's not just about, you know, being vocal in a, protest it, you know they're like caroline said there's so many ways to uh practice dissent and um it can literally just be and you know like as we've learned in in handmaid's tale like even just reclaiming her name june instead of being offered or of joseph or whatever you know she's had a bunch of different names now um so you know there's there's so many things i think we can learn from that show so i recommend everybody watch it you know you yeah. don't have to be a feminist you will you will be after you finish watching it 
Yeah. And if you're not, you're just, you're not watching it. <laughs> like, go to therapy. If you don't, I'm sorry. If you don't think you're a feminist or you disagree with feminism, go to therapy or like get help. Cause I, I don't, I can't. That's all I'm going to say about it. I just get angry. Yes. Again, yeah. extra bold, a feminist, inclusive, <laughs> it's right here. I just got it. I think it was today or it was yesterday. I don't know, but everything's together. <laughs> Actually, our um, last post um, was about the costume, the red costume. It was, costume. yeah. Yeah, um, because I was so excited about Handmaid's Tale starting, uh, I guess, I don't know, two weeks ago or two whatever. Two weeks ago or something, yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, I should totally write about the, the cape. Um, we had it here in Philadelphia for the mm -hmm. design for Different Futures exhibit. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, the, the garment was actually in the exhibit. Um, and I remember that. And then I went to go read about um, you know, who designed it. And then I learned the Smithsonian actually purchased the original one that Elizabeth Moss first wore in the first season. Um, and then you know, to see this cape get appropriated by protesters like all around the world to speak out for you know women's rights wherever women's rights are being violated on so many different issues has become I think really inspirational um yeah. I really like that write-up because I didn't know <laughs> that yeah, and I, I, I wasn't I, here for the the show um that you yeah. mentioned like I, I didn't live here at the time so mm -hmm. I was like oh man you know another thing I missed <laughs> um but thanks you should never have left you know, Philly yeah. for me it's okay it's fine <laughs> Seattle. I'm not salty about it at all. <laughs> um, so we always end um, every episode with the same two questions. Um, so we're going to bring them to you guys. Um, and it, the first one is, what is one resource that you just cannot live without? And we're going to let you figure out what that means. <laughs> hmm. That's a tough one. Um. I think for me, one resource I can't live without is words. Um, and that's words in all of their many uh, platforms. Um, I'm, I set out at the beginning of this year to read at least four novels a month. So I'm, I'm like, I'm really enjoying that. And um, re reading through all these different stories and um, learning about all these different types of lives and people's different perspectives. So, um, uh, you know, and my life is in writing and and all that. So that that was what that's what came to mind for me. Yeah, and I would say music for me. I mean, it would be really hard to forgo words and certainly visuals, but. Um, can't live without music. Fair enough. I mean, two very good answers. <laughs> well done. Yeah. A lot of people stumble with that because it's like, uh, we've had everything from, you know, words, we've had water, family, chocolate. Yeah. I think someone did say chocolate, actually. Laura Victoria said chocolate, okay. <laughs> coffee and chocolate. Um, a lot of people say social media, like Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. A lot of people say social media, which I get, especially now. Yeah. Um, yeah. No wrong answer, but you guys had good answers. Um, and then the last question we, we leave with is, what is one piece of advice that you guys would want to leave our listeners with? It can be one piece each, or if you guys have a combined thing. Uh, you can do that brain melt thing that you did at right? the beginning. 
I know what I'm going to say. You go first. I have been so bothered lately by something very specific. You know, the, the, the people who will not get a coronavirus vaccine, it's just making me a little nutty. Um, I'm going to put a pin in this. I just saw this yesterday that anti-vaxxers are now going to start wearing masks because they don't trust people who have gotten the vaccine and they're going to catch something from them. I'm going to scream. And I read that and I was like, I guess what? It I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm more mad, but I'm also grateful. I don't really know what to do here. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I like, I, I mean, Royce, I think you mentioned this. I have an autoimmune disease. I like people, like, like I got vaccinated, but there are a lot of people who are immunocompromised who can't, and they rely on herd immunity. And I'm sorry, if you don't get a vaccine, you're a dick. Oh yeah. Well, there's that. I'm, I'm saying that. I'm, I'm sorry. 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 Royce, we completely interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm not getting vaccines. Uh, and go. A little bit more, uh, politely, I guess, which is that, um, oh, no, don't hold back. <laughs> I, no, I, I think that, um, we have to, as society care about the greater good. And I think our Instagram, it really reflects that, right? Like when we are writing about descent by design, it's always in the context of the greater good. Um, not our personal interests, not, you know, one party's interest or whatever, although we know, you know, we know the better party, but, um, you know, people can be really selfish and don't think about community and don't think about the greater good. And so when, you know, this whole coronavirus vaccine situation is so upsetting to me because like, I literally know people who are not getting the vaccine and have told me so. And I, I don't even, I can't even respond. Like it's, it, I don't have the words to say, wow, like you must not really care about humanity. You must not really care about the greater good. You must not really care about your coworkers, your family, your friends, your, you know, whoever, or, or yourself. And it's really selfish. And then I worry for them. Like I shouldn't have to worry about those people. They need to take care of themselves so they can take care of their community as well. And I'm with you, Allie, like, you know, I, I'm like super, super concerned about, um, you know, people with autoimmune diseases. And, you know, I myself have, you know, I, I think I had three or four things that I, you know, could have easily, you know, died had I gotten coronavirus between mm -hmm. asthma and I'm a cancer survivor. I have seizures. I'm a diabetic, like on and on. Like I, I know if I had gotten COVID, I probably would not have survived. And that's why I locked myself in my house for a year. Um, that is not easy. Like that was done out of sacrifice, not just for me, but for my community. Right. And, and I think that when I hear of people not caring about the greater good on not just this issue, but on so many other issues, um, including what's going on in Washington right now, you know, like, you know, Liz Cheney, you know, had to step down from her job today or her, her leadership role, I should say. Um, all because again, people are being selfish and don't care about the greater good. And, and yeah. that is the bottom line of all the problems we have in society. It's like, you have to choose what side you're on. Right. And I think a lot of us choose to do the right thing and educate ourselves. And I think Ali, you said this earlier, like, you know, right after, uh, George Floyd's murder, I think a lot of us were feeling helpless and didn't know how we could fit into the solution. So we educated ourselves. I'm happy to do that work. And and Caroline and I both agreed that, you know, our our Instagram was going to be that kind of a place for learning and for um, people to go so that they can be part of the greater good and and learn solutions, you know, on many different levels. And so that's that's my one piece of advice, I guess, for 
uh, people is like, you know, if you if you really have so many opinions that you are so selfish, then, you know, if anything, just think about your community and think about your family and and, you know, how you can maybe slowly, you know, start thinking about contributing as a good neighbor and a good citizen. I, ultimately, that's sort of where we're at right now and why we're so polarized. So I think if we can kind of come together a little bit, but I don't know how we do that without people willing to to give a little. Yeah, you're right. That was much more polite than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I curse a lot too, believe me. Okay. Uh, so do I we. agree with every word, but I was just saying, I was like, wow, that's a much more articulate way to say what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's exactly, I, yeah. I'm gonna speak for all four of us. That's exactly how we all feel. Yeah. Like it's just this constant battle of just lack stop. of empathy and just, just sex. Like, is, is key, you know, like you can't grow as a human, you can't help other humans if you don't have empathy. And I think even from the dissent standpoint, like, you know, we have to have empathy to be able to write about all of these problems that are going on in the world. Like we might not personally have these issues, but like I could certainly educate myself and put myself in other people's shoes and see, you know, what they're feeling and going through and and lend my voice to be an ally and that's what this is about that's what our account is about and on some levels um yeah caroline were you gonna say something yeah well as that's why i feel like everybody needs to read um <laughs> everybody needs to read more like i we just finished the memoir huh well our i mean our instagram account but also other things <laughs> Um, no, and I, I just finished the memoir heavy. Yeah. Um, the memoir heavy by, I'm not sure how you say his name. I think it's Keith Lamon. Um, but it's the, it's a memoir. It's a first person account of what it's like to grow up in this country as, as a black man in the deep South. And it's like, if everybody read that book, um, and books like it, you know, that provided other people's perspectives, I feel like we'd be, I hope that we would be a different country, so. Yeah, I mean, I again, we've, we've said before, like, you know, as cis white women, Krista and I, I'm assuming you guys as well, um, you know, it's it's impossible for us to fully understand. I mean, I told this story on the podcast before, but um, my, my partner is um, BIPOC and uh, part of the BIPOC community and, has voiced concerns. My daughter is blonde hair and blue eyes. And, you know, he's voiced concerns of like, hey, I don't think I feel comfortable walking with her alone somewhere in this area because somebody's going to think that like, I stole this little white baby. And it was something that I kind of sat with him was like, oh, like that never would have entered into my realm of thinking because why should it? I'm her mother. I trust him with my child. Who would, you know what I mean? Like it just, there's so much that doesn't even enter into our realm of thought as a first instinct, right? But it's up to us to educate ourselves, both in the people with the people in our lives, um, but also to your point, Caroline. You know, reading biographies, reading articles, um, scholarly journals, Instagram accounts <laughs> that like are educating people and doing the work because. You know, something that Krista and I have heard from a few guests is that, you know, people in those communities are tired and yeah. there are plenty of resources out there now, especially with the internet, where you can gain those 
points of knowledge so that you can then go to members of those communities with informed questions. You're not asking someone to provide you an education. You're asking someone to have an informed discussion. And that in itself is respecting what's going on and showing that you want to be an advocate. So I, I completely agree. I mean, reading is, I think, one of the biggest gifts in my life. My grandmother taught me to read when I was four and a half, and I just never stopped. I'm like you. I read constantly. My book had, my bet, my book, my bed has like six books surrounding it at any given time. It's, it's so important, so important. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we're doing people a service by, you know, shortening what they have to read on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't want to read as much. Yeah. But, still want the but you should also, because yeah. <laughs> it's great. But yes, I agree. I mean, I think, I think that's where social media is really strong as it kind of takes, import, it can anyway, take important things and kind of digest them, you know, make them digestible for people. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think that's what you guys do and it's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for spending a lovely Wednesday evening <laughs> with us. Um, we really appreciate it. And one last time for all the listeners that we have, um, could you tell them where they can find you, reach out, all that good stuff? Yeah, we are on Instagram. We are called Descent by Design. However, we have underscores in our name. So it's Descent underscore by underscore design. Um, and then you can, Caroline and I are also individually on Instagram. Um, yeah, reach out. We'd love to hear from you, from, from all your listeners. Follow us, be part of our community, chat with us, <clears throat> challenge us, give us ideas. Lots of, uh, of our readers actually send in ideas of people they want us to write about. So mm -hmm. we certainly welcome that as well. Awesome. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Well, thank you again, and we will see you guys on the internet. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. That was a lot of fun. Look at you. You finished that whole episode. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And of course, share with your friends. We love friends. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our friends at Whitehorse Media Group. Join our Facebook group and follow us on social media at Leaders by Design everywhere. That's Leaders, the letter X, Design. To submit a question or topic for us to discuss or to recommend someone for a future interview, email us at leadersxdesignpodcast at gmail.com. To work with us or to see what we've been up to, visit the studio's website, littleredmonkeydesign.com. Until next time, this is Allie and Krista. See ya. See ya.